0: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. I bet you're smart.
1: Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon,
0: Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that
1: you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Get in touch with
0: technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey there and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer at HowStuffWorks and I love all things tech. And in our last episode... Uh, which was about Pebble. If you have not heard that episode, I recommend you listen to it because this is a continuation. But in that episode, I, I ended by talking about how Eric Mijakovsky, the the founder of Pebble, had launched a successful Kickstarter campaign. In fact, it was, at the time, the most successful Kickstarter campaign. And by the end of uh, 2012, beginning of 2013, he was getting ready. In fact, at the opening month of 2013, he started shipping out units of the Pebble smartwatch to Kickstarter backers. And then after he got through those, he started sending them to pre-order customers. So we're going to pick up from there and look at what the company did over the following three years when Pebble would cease to exist as a company. And then I'll do a little follow-up at the end with some more recent news, because Even after the company ended, uh, it kind of kept going a little bit until recently. More reviews for the Pebble smartwatch once it came out were generally positive. They weren't gushing. They weren't overwhelming. But they they generally said nice things about the product. They pointed out that the watch was limited in what it could do. It was essentially a time-telling piece that would give you a heads-up on incoming notifications on your phone. And there was the promise of some other apps that would be uh, compatible in the future. But there wasn't a whole lot to do with it right out of the, the gate. You could you could do stuff like read text messages that came in on your phone. You could read things like Twitter responses, email. Essentially, stuff that was coming into your phone could be relayed to your, your uh, Pebble smartwatch. And you would use the physical buttons on the side of the watch to navigate uh, those messages. You could scroll up or down. You could use your uh, watch to decline an incoming phone call. You, you get a phone call, you look at your your wrist, you see, oh, that's a call coming in from so-and-so. I don't have time to talk to that person. I'm just going to go ahead and send that to voicemail. You could do that from your watch as well. It had a vibrating motor inside of it that would help alert you to those incoming calls or act as an alarm to remind you about upcoming appointments. So it was useful, but it wasn't super flashy. Right, it was just a monochromatic screen. It had some very basic functions, and it did what it did well, but it wasn't incredibly versatile. So it wasn't trying to be a smartphone for your wrist, which some other smartwatches had kind of tried to go down that route, and that ended up complicating things because typically it meant that you had so many features in your uh, smartwatch that it either didn't do them very well. Or it really had a terrible battery life because you were trying to pack so many different components into a very small form factor, so it didn't leave very much room for a battery. So Pebble took a different approach, and it helped also keep the price down. So uh, some people, like me, liked the Pebble because we knew what we were going to get. We understood, all right, this is a limited set of features. It's not the end-all be-all of technology, but it is kind of neat and you know what it can do. And it's at the $150 price point. And so uh, people like me, we were on board. Now, other people felt it just didn't have enough features to be worth the purchase, which is a totally valid point of view, I might add. If you look at this and you say, Uh, it's just telling me stuff that I can look at just by glancing at my phone. I'm not going to spend $150 on that. That's a legitimate argument. Well, the Kickstarter campaign helped Pebble in more ways than one. It gave them the starting capital they needed to get manufacturing rolling, right? To start this process, to start generating these, these watches, to build out these watches and then ship them and hopefully start laying the groundwork for customers. But the truth of the matter was that the company was going to need more money to make good on the pre-orders and Kickstarter orders uh, because they were offering those Kickstarter ones at any rate at a discount. So you start discounting the product before you've actually started to build it. Sometimes the cost can end up overshadowing the money you're bringing in. So Mijakovsky sought investment and this time he found it. If you listen to my last episode, you know he had a real hard time finding investors because they were shy about supporting what appeared to be an upstart hardware company. Hardware is a very risky business. The historic success of the crowdfunding campaign, however, changed some minds. You saw investors say, huh, there." people seem to put a lot of stock in this, not, not in stock exchange kind of way, but in... People seem to put a lot of value in this company, so maybe we should invest in it. So Pebble received about $15 million in investment, and that helped the fledgling company fill all of its Kickstarter orders and many of its pre-orders by May 2013. And in all, 190,000 people had signed up to pre-order a Kickstarter watch uh, or a Pebble watch rather. By July 7th of 2013, Pebble smartwatches could be found on the shelves of Best Buy stores. This originally was an exclusive arrangement for Best Buy, so it was the only retail store that was carrying Pebble watches at the beginning. Uh, And at first, at least, they only had the jet black version of the smartwatch available. But this helped cement Pebble as a quote-unquote real product and not just some internet dream. You know, it wasn't just... Mail order, you could find these in honest to goodness real stores. And for some people, that kind of sign is the only way they'll accept it as being a legitimate business. Well, Pebble spent its first year making and shipping those basic watches to buyers. And by the end of 2013, the company had shipped 300,000 watches to customers. Back in April 2013, Pebble also introduced a sort of proto software developer kit or SDK. And it was limited in scope, that original one. It allowed developers to create new watch faces for the Pebble and some basic applications. But the following month, they debuted the Pebble Kit SDK. And that would allow developers to create apps that used two-way communication between the watches and their paired devices. And it opened up a lot of other opportunities for uh, integration with various apps. In early 2014, Pebble announced a new take on this basic watch, and it was called the Pebble Steel, S-T-E-E-L. So as in the metal, not as in thievery. The original Pebble watches had plastic bodies, and they were more sporty, according to Mijakovsky. The Pebble Steel marked a move to try and tap into the more traditional watch market, something that you might wear... If you were dressing up, maybe you're a business person and you want to have a watch that kind of reflects that and you don't want some something that's bright and colorful and plastic on your wrist. So these watches were about $100 more expensive than the original pebbles when they were first announced. They looked more professional. They had different options for wristbands or for watch bands. You could get a leather watch band or you could get um, you know sort of that chain based kind of watch band. And these uh, new watch designs also meant that the Pebble had to change up the charging cable for the steel. The The form factor for the Pebble steel was uh, different from the original Pebble. And so the charging cable that they had made for the original Pebble would not fit on the steel. So classic cables were not compatible with the new watch. That got some criticism from some folks. They said, well, now you're confusing things because... If you're going to have a line of Pebble watches, and some people collect watches, well, now you're going to have to have different cables for different models. That's very confusing, but it's the way they went. Under the hood, the Pebble Steel mostly resembled its sportier predecessor. One difference was that the new watch had twice the onboard memory. They went from 4 megabytes up to 8 megabytes for memory, but otherwise things were pretty much the same. Now, the reason for that is the company did want to try and avoid fragmentation as much as they could, especially on the app side. So if they made too many changes to the design of the Pebble, it would make things messier for developers and for customers. So it can be hard to explain to a customer base that because you own an older watch, you aren't able to use certain apps because those apps depend upon features that are absent in earlier models. That can get very frustrating. And so Pebble made a very careful move to avoid shaking things up too much. Along with the Pebble Steel, the company launched version 2.0 of its software and an app store as well, and included apps from big names like Pandora, Foursquare, and ESPN. There were also some games that were designed to play on the watch, and all apps in the app store were free. It was actually a requirement Pebble set. He said, well, he, Eric Mijakovsky said that... Pebble apps in the App Store had to be free uh, in order to be featured on the App Store. However, developers were allowed to create their own companion apps for the Pebble, and they could have those listed in the App Store over at Apple or Google Play, and they could charge money for those. It wouldn't be featured in the Pebble app, but you could have these companion apps and you could charge whatever you liked. Um... And so this looked like it was just the very beginning for Pebble. The watches would allow for eight slots for apps, uh, for third-party apps. And if you wanted more than eight apps, well, you would choose whichever ones you load onto the watch. And you would have to unload apps if you had more than eight. You'd have to decide, all right, well, these eight I want, but these other two that I had on there, I'm going to take off. Those unloaded apps would go into what they called a locker, on the companion Pebble app for your smartphone, the thing that you would pair the watch to. And that way you could swap those older apps back in easily. You could say, all right, well, I'm going to reinstall this app I put into the locker because I want it again. Still, that that was kind of a limitation and it rubs some folks the wrong way because it's kind of a hassle to have to manage apps like that, you know, to to fill up once you hit eight and then you have to swap stuff out. Uh, if you happened to lo- like having a lot of apps at your disposal, it was it was a little frustrating. Uh, Nilay Patel reviewed the Steel for The Verge, and he lamented that the apps weren't quite advanced enough for his tastes. He pointed out that the experiences were not really location-based, which meant if you wanted to use your watch, and let's say you, want, you had the Foursquare app activated on your watch, and you wanted to check into the location that you were going into, you, maybe you're at a, a restaurant, Uh, Because back in those days, Foursquare did that. That was back when Foursquare was a check-in service. They have since changed what they do. But that's an episode for a different time. Anyway, if you were using your watch to do this, your Pebble, it meant that you were pressing the physical buttons on the watch a lot in order for you to navigate through the app and to activate the right uh, place for you to check in. And that this was not very user-friendly. Why would you do that when you could just take your phone out and do the same thing much more quickly? Patel said, what really should happen is there should be some more predictive elements to the pebble. It should be able to pull information from your paired phone and say, all right, well, clearly this person, that my wearer just walked into this restaurant. So when my wearer checks the phone, I'm going to suggest the Foursquare app, and I'm already going to have the place pulled up for them to check in if they want to. Uh, But that was not something that was happening in those early apps. Some of the companion apps got pretty neat. For example, developers created a companion app that would let you use the Pebble with certain Wi-Fi enabled cameras. So you could actually use it like a remote control for those cameras. I think that's kind of cool. The Pebble Steel, like its predecessor, landed a distribution deal at Best Buy. Customers would be able to buy a steel for $229, but they were only able to get it with the leather strap. So this is kind of similar to how when the original Pebble came out, the only color you could get was jet black. It's, it's similar to that. Well, I've got a lot more to say about Pebble's decline, but first let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from The Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday.
1: Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber lives like a giglionaire. Available wherever you'll get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit ATC.com/slash hypergig for details.
0: When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts season two of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. In the summer of 2014, Google was getting ready to unveil Android Wear, which is... A a version of the Android operating system. It's a platform for wearable computing. It makes sense just from the name. Meanwhile, Pebble continued to foster its developer community and to make deals with other companies, such as uh, a wearable company called Misfit that made activity trackers. So Misfit made an app for Pebble that would take data from the watch's accelerometer and essentially turn the watch into a pedometer and a step tracker, in other words. The first Android Wear watch to hit the market was the LG G Watch. This watch was the first to use Android Wear as its operating system. And other companies also announced their own Android-based smartwatches in the summer of 2014. But Google's approach was different from what Apple would do. Google's approach was to create a platform, you know, Android Wear, and to let other companies produce the actual hardware. And that meant that there were a lot of competing watches that were on the way without really a clear front runner in those early days. So there wasn't one single Android-based watch you would point to and say, this is the Pebble Killer. But it had to be worrisome because there were a bunch of different ones that were coming out. And there was a lot of interest in that original G watch, and that was a pretty limited implementation of Android Wear when it came out. In September 2014... Pebble reduced the price of its two watch lines. The classic Pebble, the sporty version, would drop down to $99, and the Pebble Steel was reduced to $199. Pebble also made new agreements with companies like Jawbone and Swim.com, which helped expand the Pebble's utility as a fitness and sleep tracker. Again, mostly just detecting movements through the accelerometer. So, pretty simplistic variation of fitness tracker. Uh, they, a lot of the more advanced fitness trackers take into account more information than just an accelerometer. The company had also moved beyond its exclusive deal with Best Buy. It was already available in Target and also on Amazon.com, but in the fall of 2014, it also started to show up in stores like Fry's and Sam's Club, and it also became available in the UK and across Scandinavia. And perhaps it was a combination of all of these different efforts that pushed Pebble sales to hit 1 million units by the end of 2014. So for a new company, brand new hardware company, with an unproven form factor, smartwatches had not really taken off before this, this seemed like a pretty good pace to hit a million sales in its second year. Not bad. However, something else happened in the fall of 2014 that might have been of some concern. Apple, the company that had dominated by creating the iPod and really defining the MP3 era. I mean, we call them podcasts because Apple really did have a stranglehold on that market. Apple also was able to essentially define the consumer smartphone market, at least in the United States, as well as create the first successful consumer tablet with the iPad, they decided to throw their hat in the ring, and they finally confirmed suspicions and rumors that had been going on all year. And in September, they announced that the company had designed and branded its own smartwatch, and it was on the way, and it would come out the following year in 2015. Now, Mijakovsky greeted this announcement with a pretty calm and even welcome tone. He postulated that Apple's market was going to be for a different type of customer than Pebble's target market. And that sounds pretty reasonable because it was clear, even early on when we knew very little about the Apple Watch, that that smartwatch was going to be a luxury item. It was not going to be your basic, you know, uh... uh, ground-level smartwatch. This was something that was going to be a bit of a a, a luxury uh, purchase. So the Pebble was marketed as a useful piece of technology that was at a reasonable price point. And the Apple Watch was clearly going to be able to, to do a lot of the stuff that Pebble could not do. But Mijakovsky maintained that as long as what Pebble did, it did well— and as long as it maintained expectations, there would be plenty of room for both the Pebble and the Apple Watch. And besides, the Apple Watch was only going to be in the domain of Apple. You know, there was no one out there who thought Apple was going to come out with a smartwatch that would also be compatible with Android smartphones. Everyone knew from the get-go because Apple Apple's approach always has been try and get everybody into the Apple ecosystem and keep them there. So no one was operating under the assumption that this was going to work with Android operating system phones. So that meant the Pebble was definitely going to still have an audience. It would be all the people who don't have an iPhone. Still, with both Google and Apple unveiling new technologies for wearables, some people were starting to get a little concerned about Pebble. Pebble. Would the pioneering company be able to stand up for itself with these looming giants gaining momentum on it? And the Apple question would go unanswered for the time being. While the company would announce the watch in September 2014, pre-orders of the device wouldn't even start until April 2015. So that question was kind of tabled for several months. As for Android Wear watches, that number is actually kind of hard to track. It's kind of hard to say how many Android Wear watches were sold in 2014. There were multiple companies that were making Android-based watches by the end of 2014, and not all of them shared sales figures. Some of them would only talk about how many units were shipped, not sold. So that's not necessarily the same thing. So if you're shipping watches to retail locations, those don't count as sales, that they've just been moved to a retail location, and they could be just gathering dust. But according to the research firm Canalys, C-A-N-A-L-Y-S, companies shipped 720,000 Android Wear watches in 2014. Again, those are not sales. It's ship numbers, not sale numbers. But it did take Pebble two years to reach 1 million units sold. And Android Wear had only been around since the summer of that year, so only been on the market for six months. So clearly there was a lot of movement in the smartwatch space, even in 2014 before the Apple Watch came out. And Pebble, while it led the way, was not necessarily going to be the market leader for very long. By early 2015, Pebble said there were more than 6,000 various apps available for their smartwatches. And there were also watch faces among that number and that more than 25,000 developers were part of the Pebble developer community, which was a pretty nice thing to be able to point to and say we have a very healthy community of developers that are creating innovative apps for our smartwatch. You can do all sorts of stuff besides just see what time it is and see who's calling you. In February 2015, Pebble announced that they were coming out with the next generation of their watch. This one they called the Pebble Time. What a great name for a watch, calling it the Time. Do you have the Time? Uh, It writes itself. It had a 64-color e-paper display, so it moved beyond the monochromatic, though I should say... This e-paper display, it looked kind of like a, a comic book, like like the way the inside pages of a comic book look, you know, it has that, that almost slightly faded look to it. That's kind of how the e-paper looked, and that was because of the technology. You, know, you only had 64 colors to work with. You didn't have so many different variations that you could have lots of different vibrancy there, but it was still a color display. It also had a microphone that would let users make voice notes and voice replies to incoming messages. The screen had a protective layer made of Gorilla Glass, which was an upgrade from the Pebble and Pebble Steel. The bezel on the watch was of stainless steel, and the watch was available in three colors. Like the original Pebble, you could get it in white, black, or red, although they were Not exactly the same versions of white, black, and red as the original Pebble, but still kind of in line with the company's uh, history. And here's the kicker, or rather, I guess I should say, here's the Kickstarter, because Pebble launched the Pebble Time on Kickstarter, just as they had with the original Pebble two years earlier. And the Pebble Time also performed really well on that platform. Early bird backers could pledge $159 for a pebble time. Once those pledges were used up, backers could then reserve one for $179. So early bird Kickstarter, the way it typically works is that you limit how many people can reserve at that price point, Uh, whatever it may be, whether it's a watch like in this case or it's other special swag or giveaways or whatever it might be that's related to your campaign. You can say, all right, well, the first 200 to pledge at this amount can get this reward, but after that, you have to pledge higher in order to get that same stuff. That's what Pebble did. And um, the retail price for the watch was $199. So if you were an early bird, you got $40 off. If you weren't an early bird, you still got $20 off the retail price. So how did that Kickstarter campaign do? Well, the answer is really, really well. It took half an hour for the Pebble Time campaign to hit its goal of $1 million. Actually, I'm sorry, that's twice its goal. Its original goal was $500,000. So in half an hour, they had doubled what their goal was already. The campaign had already raised $12 million when Pebble actually added another option, an upgrade option. Just as the Pebble got the professional upgrade version with the Pebble Steel, so too did the Pebble Time. So you could get the basic Pebble Time model, or you could opt for the more expensive Pebble Time Steel. And just like Pebble versus Pebble Steel, same sort of thing. It was kind of a a move to make it look a little more professional grade, like something you would wear to a business outing for business. Existing Kickstarter backers could upgrade their pledge while maintaining their place in the shipping queue once the watches were ready. So if you decided, oh, now that you've announced this this newer version, this steel version, I would much prefer that. So I'm going to swap my pledge from what it was to this new one, but I maintain my place in line. So as soon as, like if I was number 37 in line for a pebble time and uh, I switch over to pebble time steel, I will be at a comparable waiting point for that. Nearly 78,500 people backed this project, and the campaign raised $20,338,986. That makes the Pebble Time the all-time champion in Kickstarter campaign fundraising as of the recording of this podcast. The Coolest Cooler had actually knocked the original Pebble off the top of the list, but the Pebble time reclaimed that spot, and it holds it to this day. But why would you use a Kickstarter for a product when you've already got a successful company? That would become clear later on. I'll talk about it in just a moment. But first, let's take another quick break to thank our sponsor. Running a business is no cakewalk. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at Concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot I bet you're smart.
1: Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday
0: afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you
1: get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Today, I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with
0: That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what
1: to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, deputy opinion editor.
0: And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu.
1: Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Today I'm going to give you some straightforward advice on how to deal with naughty kids. How about instead of timeouts, time ins? Time for you to start paying some bills. I'm J.B. Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, StraightForward. Inspired by guaranteed, straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a giggillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit at and hypergig for details.
0: When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. By the time the Pebble time was announced, boy, this doesn't get old, does it? Pebble had grown into a company with 130 employees. And according to TechCrunch, it was sometime around this, this area in 2015 that a watch company called Citizen approached Mijakovsky with an offer to purchase Pebble. TechCrunch's source said the offer was somewhere around $740 million, an acquisition of $740 million. I think we can all agree that is a princely sum. Midjakovsky declined. He said, nope, gonna keep it. He made this choice, and then later on, some people would criticize him for making that decision. Of course, in hindsight, it becomes clear that that probably would have been the best move, but there was no way of knowing at that time. By the end of 2015, it was probably a decision Mijakovsky was ruining, Because mid-2015 would be the last time Kickstarter would make a profit. It would lose money starting in the second half of 2015, and it would never quite recover. The company was encountering lots of different problems, mostly in the form of lagging sales. So there's always... Issues When you're making hardware, you know, there's supply chain problems, manufacturing problems, shipping problems, there's processing returns and refunds, there's all that stuff. But on top of that, uh, they were just seeing a a lack of interest in the market, There, there would be an initial interest during the Kickstarter campaigns, the first one raising more than 10 million, the second one raising more than 20 million. But once that died down, There wasn't just a a steady inflow of orders for these watches. And it was just – it seemed like it was difficult to expand that, that core of hardcore customers, the people who were really eager to see these smartwatches come out, the ones who were supporting the Kickstarter campaigns. It was hard to expand that to a larger consumer base. To make matters worse, Apple's watch finally debuted in April 2015, and most estimates said that the company sold a million units really quickly. But to be fair, Apple never published their sales figures for the watches. Those numbers are almost always lumped in under some other category, like the other category when Apple is reporting its earnings. Uh, that means that it gets grouped in with stuff like Apple TV. So you can't really break it down by unit because you don't, you don't know how much of that is represented by watches versus other items. But it sounded like Apple was able to accomplish in just a few days what it took two years for Pebble to, to do, you know, to, to hit that million units sold mark. The basic Pebble time began shifting shortly after the conclusion of the campaign. Uh, By July, it was available in Best Buy, and in August, that extended to Target, and the Pebble Time Steel followed suit just a bit later. And meanwhile, the company was getting ready to reveal yet another new watch. This one took the Pebble Time platform, so it's the same basic technology as the Pebble Time, but it changed the form factor. It was called the Pebble Time Round, and it was, you guessed it, a watch with a round watch face, which is actually harder to do with a smartwatch than you might think. Electronics tend to be designed in square or rectangular form factors because that's what circuit boards tend to be printed on. Creating round circuit boards is challenging, not because it's hard to cut a circle. It's not hard to cut a circle and create a circular circuit board, but it's hard to lay out the actual elements on the circuit board when you're using a round shape as your basis, as your platform. So it's also hard to design a display that looks good when it's in a round form factor and does not cut off edges. So if you have a round display and really it's it's underneath you have a square screen, but you've got a bezel that covers the corners, so it looks like it's just a round screen to you. But if you were to take the bezel off, you would see that it was rectangular underneath. Well, then you might run into problems where the ends of words or the beginnings of words might get cut off by the slope of the circle. So it is actually a pretty tricky thing to do well. The Pebble Time Round did have a bezel surrounding the round screen. So while the watch face, the round watch face, was uh, listed a certain diameter you had to remember that was actually smaller because the bezel covered up a lot of the uh, the space along the edge. And unlike the other watches in Pebble's inventory, the round had a relatively short battery life. Most Pebble watches were advertised as being able to last a week on a single charge. The Pebble Time round had a watch, a uh, battery life of two days. But in order to kind of take the sting out of that, Pebble said that the way they designed the Pebble Time round, it could recharge 24 hours worth of battery life in just 15 minutes of charging. So it wasn't all doom and gloom. Now, the round was the first Pebble watch to be available in two sizes for the straps. Now, the actual watch faces, they were the same size no matter what you got. So uh, if you were to put a men's Pebble Time round next to a women's Pebble Time round back-to-back, they would be exactly the same size. But... The men's style would accept 20 millimeter watch strap sizes, so uh, that's by width, and the women's was set to 14 millimeter watch uh, watch strap sizes. So the if you looked at the ends, the little prongs that would hold the bands in place, they were closer together for the women's watches. But otherwise, it was pretty much the same thing. Oh, and you could get the 14 millimeter, the women's watch version in rose gold which, as I understand it, used to be really trendy, but I never paid attention and only learned about it well after everyone else did, so I know about it after it's no longer cool. Tari's judging me. Pebble began sending the Pebble Time round watches out in early November 2015. The company, meanwhile, was definitely struggling. It was not bringing in enough money to cover costs. The employee count at this point had grown to 160. Not a huge company, but 160 people. And while the Kickstarter campaigns were getting enthusiastic responses and raising millions of dollars each time they held one, the company as a whole was starting to accrue debt. And that was starting to get worrisome. At some point, Intel approached Pebble with an offer to buy the company. And this was another one of those stories that would get passed around by sources to journalists. So uh, this was never something that was really publicly addressed. The story is that, the offer Intel made was about one-tenth of what Citizen had offered. Remember, Citizen had said, we'll, we'll buy you for $740 million, and Midjakovsky said, no thanks. Intel said, we'll buy you at $70 million. One-tenth. Midjakovsky turned that offer down as well, just as he had the earlier, larger offer. As Bebel entered 2016 things were starting to look a little grim. The smartwatch and wearable markets had not followed the same trend of adoption as smartphones and tablets. Now, whether that was because customers couldn't see the value in a watch that did a few smartphone things, or maybe the market was already saturated with Android and iOS competitors, or maybe fitness trackers had taken a lot of that market share away Or maybe it was a combination of a whole bunch of different factors. The sales just were not there. Mijakovsky again found it difficult to get investors interested in his company, and he didn't have the money to launch a new product, so he had a tough decision to make. And in the spring of 2016, he made the first of those tough decisions. Uh, The company was losing money, so he made the call to cut 25% of the jobs at Pebble in March 2016. Now, without a new product, his company was going to go under, and so he turned once again to the platform that got him started, Kickstarter. This would be the third and final campaign for Pebble. The campaign was officially for a trio of products. You had the Pebble 2, so the successor to the original smartwatch, the Pebble Time 2, and the Pebble Core. The Pebble 2 went back to that monochromatic display that was made famous by the original smartwatch. Uh, But the new version also had a heart rate sensor, a little light that uh, can detect when blood is passing through your veins, so it can start counting up your heartbeats that way and tell you what your heart rate is. The Time 2 also had a heart rate sensor, and its color screen was 53% larger than the previous Time Watch. The Core was a totally different kind of product. It was meant to be an activity tracker for runners and it had its own cellular antenna. So you could have this hooked up to an account and you would not have to carry a smartphone with you. You would just jog around with this this device, this this little square called the core, and it could snap on to either your shirt or your waistband. It would act as a pedometer and do other features as well. And it could just dial directly into... uh, the cellular network to send that information onto your account. You didn't have to have a smartphone with you, so you didn't have to carry your phone. You could also use the core to dial in an SOS signal if you needed it, if you encountered some sort of emergency situation. So and that was to help tell runners, yeah, you don't need to carry your phone with you. You still will be fine. If there's an emergency situation, you can use the device to do this. But the device didn't have like a display or anything. It did have a uh, an audio jack so you could plug... Uh, Headphones into it and listen to music and stuff. Uh, So it was kind of interesting. It was a very different style product than what Pebble had been doing. The goal for this campaign was $1 million, so twice that for the time. And like the other campaigns, it also was a big success. By the conclusion, it had raised nearly $12.8 million, which means that Pebble has three of the top five performing Kickstarter campaigns of all time. Three of those all came from the same company. Unfortunately, while the campaign funded successfully, those products would never actually emerge and go out to backers. Pebble was a sinking ship. Its debt had grown, and it wasn't making enough in fundraising or sales to keep it afloat. By December 2016, Mijakowski could no longer say no to any proposed deals. So when Fitbit came in, and proposed an acquisition that would include the intellectual property of Pebble and also some of their engineers, but not Pebble's hardware or its debt, he agreed to the sale. And the deal amount was not made public, but analysts estimate it was somewhere between $34 million and $40 million, which might not have even been enough to cover Pebble's debt at that point. Pebble did promise to refund all the pledges that backers had made for the Pebble 2, the Time 2, and the Core. And Fitbit promised to continue to support the Pebble service through the back end, at least for a little while, to have the service going so that you could still download apps, develop apps. Things would still work with your Pebble watch. But that would come to an end in June 2018, when Fitbit ended support for the Pebble. So you can no longer get Pebble apps, Uh, The voice recognition features no longer work because they depended upon servers that were on the back end. You can't respond to emails or SMS messages through your Pebble watch. You can still get notifications, but you can't really act on those notifications in any big, meaningful way. So in other words, all the various Pebble watches behave more or less like the original Pebble before the App Store came out, but with even fewer options. Notifications will continue to work on Pebble watches as long as the companion apps for iOS and Android continue to work. But should there ever come an OS update for either of those platforms that breaks that app functionality, those notifications are going to stop too. And then you'll just have a watch with limited utility. Mijakowski these days now works at Y Combinator, that same accelerator where he got his company kind of off the ground, and there he tries to help would-be startup leaders. He shares his knowledge and his experience, both the good stuff and the bad stuff, to help other startup company uh, uh, launchings uh, avoid those problems and take advantage of the things he knows. Fitbit, meanwhile, has had its own share of problems, uh, which, you know, I've talked about in previous episodes of Tech Stuff. The company traded at nearly $50 per share back in 2015, but by the time the acquisition came around in 2016, the shares were down to around $7.50 per share. And today, as I record this, they're trading at just around $6 per share. So Fitbit has also struggled since, well, before and since acquiring Pebble, Um, Whether they can get things moving again remains to be seen. But it does seem like the smartwatch mode, that that form factor, in general, I don't think anyone has really nailed it. Apple's come close for Apple owners, people who own, you know, iOS devices. Uh, It's an extension of that experience. And so I think out of all the smartwatches I have personally seen, They are the closest to getting it right, but it's only right if you also happen to have iOS devices. I do not. So I don't have an Apple Watch. It would make no sense. I don't have an iPhone, so it wouldn't wouldn't really work for me. Uh, And I haven't seen an Android-based smartwatch that has truly blown me away. I've seen some that I thought were interesting, but none that I felt were a must-have. And it makes me wonder if, there is such a thing as a must-have smartwatch. Maybe it means that someone just hasn't hit on the right formula yet, uh, or maybe it just means that that's just a form factor that's never really going to reach must-have status. Maybe uh, a fitness tracker that also has some timekeeping elements is all you need. Because I think uh, for a lot of people, at least, you know, including myself really, but I think more than just, you know, people like me, Fitness trackers have a lot more compelling use cases than smartwatches, especially if you have a fitness tracker that also gives you notifications. Um, I have a fitness tracker that does that, and while I don't think it's as versatile as a Pebble smartwatch was, uh, it does enough stuff well, or well enough, that it suits my purpose. So will we ever see the ultimate smartwatch? I don't know. I don't know if there's a market for it. But Pebble certainly gave it a shot. And for a while, a lot of us thought they had really succeeded. And for a while, they they did. They always were able to get enthusiasm and excitement from their community. They just weren't able to translate that into a long-term working business. So here's hoping... We see something come out of this that is positive in the long run. It may be that some of those features get worked into Fitbit. We may have to wait around and find out. But in the meantime, let's wrap this up. If you guys have any suggestions for future episodes of Tech Stuff, whether it's a company, a person, a specific technology you would love to hear more about, send me a message. The email address is techstuff at techstuffathowstuffworks.com or drop me a line on Facebook or Twitter. The handle for both of those is techstuffhsw. You can go and visit our merch store at tpubliccom slash techstuff. That's teepublic.com slash techstuff. And hey, we got new designs in there. You can get yourself a princely sum t-shirt. You bought that t-shirt for a princely sum. I actually did buy one. I did not request a free one. I bought one of those. It's on its way to me now. You can be like me. Or you can go and buy a different shirt. That's fine. I I appreciate it. Every purchase goes to help out the show, so we greatly appreciate that. And don't forget to follow us over on Instagram, and I'll talk to you again really soon.
1: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Zumo Play.